You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. That's supposed to be anyway. Have you ever had a reaction like that to a piece of modern art? I'm Kevin Power, and this podcast is what happens when you get six artists together in a recording studio to debate the validity of public art, their art. You may agree with them, you may be offended, but one thing I promise, you'll never look at art the same way again. This is part one of a two-part series to help answer that age-old question, what's that supposed to be anyway? I have with me this morning in the fabulous Paved Arts Recording Studio, artists and art administrator, um, Keely Hafner, Laura St. Pierre, Adrian Stimson, Tammy Krukel, Alejandro Romero, and Jean-Sebastien Gauthier. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining me at 9.30 in the morning on a Saturday. Good morning. Coffee in hand. So I'd like to start first by getting to know you guys a little bit and have our podcast listeners get to know you. So if you wouldn't mind, in any random order, as you feel comfortable, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from originally, um, the the kind of work you do, the medium you use, um, and... Um, also, include in that, talk a little bit about your memories of your first artistic inspiration, your early, early memories, if you can think of one pivotal moment that kind of created a spark. Well, sure, I'll start. Um, I'm Keely Hafner. I'm an emerging artist, I'm originally from Saskatchewan, born in Meadow Lake, but grew up in Saskatoon, although I did my education in eastern Canada. Uh, I use a really wide range of media, whatever is specific to the project at hand, so pretty interdisciplinary. Uh, and I actually I do have uh, a specific, I guess, art moment of encounter that really stuck with me. It was when I was 16, the first time I ever traveled. I went to Germany en route to Italy. It was my first time in a contemporary art gallery, and I saw Joseph Kosu's Four Colors, Four Words, and I must have stood in front of it for about 20 minutes. <laughs> I didn't realize that that could be art, and I was just mind-blown. So uh, from there on, I was really addicted to contemporary art and uh, pushing pushing the bounds of material investigations and that sort of thing. And you certainly do that. <laughs> Thank you. Tammy? I'm Tammy Krugel. I uh, represent the uh, Sky Up Art Center, which is the Saskatoon Community Youth Arts Programming. I've been with them for seven years as um, in many different um, capacities, but right now or currently I am their projects manager, so I oversee a multitude of projects. But we are, to step back a bit, we are the, um, I guess, the only place in Saskatoon, maybe even the province, that works exclusively with at-risk youth in the arts capacity to um, to bring out their talent, to help them 
emerge as artists, but also to help them develop as um, individuals, because a lot of them are sort of stunted in where they are um, professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. So we work uh, with them on their life skills and uh, employment readiness to help them emerge not only as artists, but as productive members of our society. My background is education, so I, I sort of did a, a bit of substitute teaching and teaching a little bit in Saskatoon. I'm not originally from here. I'm from Alberta. I um, am an, sort of an artist. I'm a clothing designer, everything. I like to just do everything hands-on. My inspirations for art just come from everywhere. I am currently thinking of designing purses, but... Mm whatever I just like go with the flow and I really enjoy teaching as uh, and and giving out not giving out but um, uh, helping people mm -hmm. find their own niche and uh, and uh, finding where their passions are so that's what I really enjoy the most yeah we've talked a lot already in uh, the first two podcasts about the value of teachers and the impact teachers have on us it's a great calling Laura I'm Laura St. Pierre. I'm an artist and until recently was a teacher <laughs> um, and left uh, teaching at the post-secondary level to pursue my practice full time. And um, I work like Keeley in a fairly multidisciplinary fashion, um, although lately I've been doing installations uh, in urban landscapes and photographing them. So the end product is a photograph, but involves a whole process of using urban space. And uh, I have, I do have some history with uh, public art as well. So we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> but I've had some interesting experiences with that too. Um, and that's it. Can you recall the early spark? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my parents didn't know anything, didn't know a lot about art. And so most of my early exposure was, I, I grew up in Regina. So the, the Dunlop gallery mm. in Regina, which is right by the library, right? So mm. every time we'd go to the library, we'd just walk through. And I remember, it was either a Poons or a Poons ripoff. So lots of big, heavy, pouring paint, um, this kind of crazy abstract painting. Mm. That's the first art experience that I remember. And then I remember being told not to touch it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Jean? Uh, my name is Jean-Sébastien Gauthier. I'm a sculptor, video artist, and uh, performance artist. I, um, I make a lot of interdisciplinary work. Um, I guess my key kind of personal interest in my practice is trying to make all of my uh, different types of work mesh into these kind of uh, live performance video sculpture events that usually come off as rather chaotic and experimental. Um, I, um, make public work a little bit, uh, uh, Adrian and I are working on a monument, uh, for the city of Saskatoon of Happy Grove as well. And, um, I am kind of like the obelix, uh, I fell in the pot when I was a kid with art. My grandpa, uh, Bill Epp was a sculptor and, uh, teacher and, uh, foundry uh, man and um, so I grew up with this like university professor with a foundry at the kind of peak of his career when I was about 10 I was just around artists every time while uh, we'd go to the farm for the weekend mm -hmm. and um, 
just had like artists talking to me and showing me what they were doing and asking me questions. So I got used to that kind of interaction really young and it just kept me engaged. And I think the moment where art became really viable for me uh, was during a symposium in the early 90s. Uh, Brad Smith, was a, who's an artist and welder, sometimes you can see him around Saskatoon driving a black um, like truck that says, like, welder for hire. Mm. <laughs> um, in the early 90s, he made this piece called Robo Riff, which was a robotic electric guitar-controlled, like, 14-foot-tall robot made with, like, capacitors from cars and stuff. And it was like a guitar with hands that played itself. <laughs> and at this symposium, he, like, put on all these leather clothes. And I was, like, following him around. And he, like, covered himself in uh, soot and ash from the fire and was like, okay, let's do this. And I was like, what's he going to do? And he kind of walked into this room and pulled out an electric guitar and strummed it. And this robot, like, reached up to the ceiling and popped a hole in a brand-new shop <laughs> that my grandpa had just finished building. In a building. And uh, I was like, whoa, that's art? I want to do that. <laughs> so, Wow. I like Brad Smith's work is... Pretty fun. Wow. <clears throat> Great memory. Adrian. Uh, good morning. For good morning. For me, I'm a graduate of the Alberta College of Art and Design and uh, the University of Saskatchewan. I did my BFA at ACAD and uh, majored in painting and then did my MFA at U of S and moved into uh, installation, performance, and sculpture. And uh, so that's sort of my educational background. Um, I call myself an interdisciplinary artist because I always try to find the media that best suits the message, and it also suits my my uh, my chaotic nature of my own mind. I, I have to focus on many different things. So I've done a number of different things. I I, I still paint quite uh, quite often, uh, but currently moving into the realm of sculpture, sort of full scale with uh, Jean Sebastien and uh, my partner Happy in doing a, a, a public monument. I have done my, uh, public works before, uh, one at the First Nation University of Canada, uh, uh, sculpture for uh, murdered and missing Aboriginal women. Uh, but also uh, at Burning Man, uh, I've done mm. sculptures there and sort of in that, in that realm where participatory art and, uh, and challenging art uh, and, and ethereal art mm -hmm. is all part of that. So I've done a few sculptures at Burning Man. So I also have that experience uh, as well. Uh, when I take a look at um, uh, inspirations... I would have to th say, I was just thinking that my very, it's twofold. I think my sort of first sort of inspiration is the uh, powwow. Uh, in, in essence, the colors, the, the, uh, the chaos, the order, uh, the sound and all that sort of stuff, I think was sort of my fundamental sort of understanding of, of, of art in, in particular. But then as a young man, 17, I went to Europe and I, I went to Florence and I went and saw the David and uh, for me as a young man, maybe it was my burgeoning homosexuality that <laughs> made me want to take a look at that sculpture all day long. <laughs> but at the same time, it was a recognition just being in that studio of, of uh, Michelangelo's. Uh, Mike, no, 
Michelangelo, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, to see all the other sculptures in process and then, of course, seeing the David and stuff like that, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think it was at that moment that within myself that I, I, I wanted to perhaps pursue a, a career in art, although it took many years for me to actually get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that moment stands out as one of the uh, most inspirational, I think something that definitely carries on into today my love of art and and space and all that sort of stuff. And certainly the male form. <laughs> what a contrast from a powwow to the David. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wide spectrum of inspiration early on. Right on. Alejandro. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here with so many talented uh, people, artists from, from around. Uh, I... Perhaps I'm not from here, and I'm in Puerto Canada. I came here 14 years ago, and I was born in the Caribbean, uh, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and I'm still the only male in Canada, in, in Saskatchewan, from that place. So, uh, Truly? Yes, and that ha- has affected my work, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And, uh, but I want to go back and, and, and just uh, start with what inspired me to become an artist. I think it... Uh, my youngest uh, memories of being interested in art was uh, uh, very, very young, as, as my mother was an actress herself, and he was, she was involved in art, and then she just uh, did a career in journalism. So I grew up uh, knowing and meeting a lot of uh, artists. I, I had that fortune uh, to be around artists all the time, writers, mostly writers uh, and uh, and journalist. So I I was exposed to that at a very young age, and I got a grant, a scholarship to go and study in a in a in a public school that from grade uh, seven to grade twelve it was a specialized school in arts at the time the only one in the in the island, and I had my six years of arts education uh, at a very young age, which was very fortunate, uh, and then after I went and I did my bachelor in arts. Uh, and uh, I always uh, been inspired uh, by my surroundings. I've been a nomad. Uh, mm-hmm. I have lived in South America and the States and Canada here in different three different places already. And my art uh, uh, get affected by that, mm-hmm. get affected by the location, the materials that I have access at the time, and what is that I want to say uh, at the moment. I have done also performances, even though it hasn't been in the gallery setting. I have my uh, ideas of uh, what galleries are for, and perhaps uh, I like a lot of community work, and I like uh, the social aspect of art, because I also, uh, in my process of growing up, uh, it helped me heal a lot of uh, uh, hurt and pain and and. and and emotion. Mm-hmm. So my art, uh, uh, through my art, I've been teaching also uh, newcomers. Uh, in Canada, uh, I I work uh, with uh, inner core uh, neighborhood and also with uh, immigrant communities and just using art as a, as, as a tool to express their emotions, their feelings and, and where they are. And, uh, to not become just an observant, mm-hmm. to just have their voice and find their voice, because I think that's very important, and that's wh- what makes me become an artist. Mm-hmm. Just it's a way that you can safely express your voice, and you can call it art. 
So that's amazing. And uh, and also uh, through all that experience, I became an art administrator before I moved here. And then when I came here after practicing art for uh, almost 10 years in Canada, I, I decided that uh, there was an opportunity and I decided that why not? Yeah, so now I have the opportunity to work with a lot of uh, collaboratively with a lot of artists and sort of curate the city canvas. Mm -hmm. So you can find a voice by creating something and calling it art, but can everybody call it art? And that is the reason why I brought you all together. Um, Keely, this is your doing in many ways. <laughs> what have I done? There is a hot debate happening in this city right now, and I'm quite certain across Canada, um, about the value of public art, about the funding of public art, um, probably a bigger question of what is art, um, and is all art valid? Um, Keely, your recent project found compressions one and two installed here in Saskatoon at the corner of 33rd and Avenue C. Tell me what that was about. So uh, it's a program through the city of Saskatoon that uh, gives artists opportunities to produce temporary works for the city. And so uh, found compressions one and two wasn't originally... Uh, what I had it titled in my mind, but I had been thinking about this project for a long time. Uh, it sort of came out of an evolution of having worked with Loris back when they were called All Green Recycling. I'm very interested in waste management and value-based hierarchies in terms of materials and, and also uh, socially. So um, I actually worked at Loris for about six months, both as employment, um, but also to what I considered research. Uh, so through that time period, I had been thinking all along about valuation systems in terms of plastics and materials and the kinds of people who were working in the facility and how rigorous the work was and, and what all those things meant. Uh, so I came up with the concept of working with these compressed bales of plastic, which are actually super lovely. They're in the facility. They're stacked uh, cube on cube, and they're just um, epic scales and forklifts moving them around. And so I was really fascinated by, um, you know, human hands having sorted through all of these materials, and then they get compressed into these shapes, and then they get shipped away. But, of course, there's a value structure within that. So uh, on the recycling line, as things are being sorted, um, different things are privileged based on how valuable they are. So, for example... A milk jug, say, is a number H, uh, number two HDPE. So that's really, really valuable. So that's going to be sorted first. But this other plastics that I chose for my project are sort of the catch-all category of three through seven, and then films, which are not valuable at all. So I decided to use them as a found object through a series of investigations. I, I came to the conclusion that that was the best way to present them. And so I had, uh, through a collaboration with Loris, um, them cellophane wrapped as they would be for transport and stacked one on top of the other. And that's what I proposed and installed for the pro program. So. And there's funding for this proposal. There is funding. It's done. It's actually, there's a, a really strong misconception nationally that it comes from tax money. It doesn't. It comes from the parking meters of Saskatoon. But uh, but that's a whole other story in itself. But yes, it was funded. <laughs> it was funded indeed. I had heard several interviews on the radio with you. Um, one, when the installation was up and a local citizen decided that it was in the best interest of all that your piece be covered up with a black tarp. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I first heard about your story. And then 
That controversy seemed to stir in the media day after day after day, right up until the day that the piece was taken down. Mm -hmm. And you were often given a voice in interview. And because of the time restraints of interview, just when you were about to defend your piece, it was time to move on to the next story. And I felt very frustrated for you as an artist and as a person, but I appreciate the time constraints of the radio interview. So this podcast is an opportunity for you all to give voice to your thoughts on art. Um, but I'd like you to keep in mind that there's a listener out there, hopefully more than one, um, who doesn't get any of this, who doesn't even get the conversation around any of this, does not have a language for it. Um, and at the end of our conversation, I would like to know that somebody walked away rethinking the way they look at art, or at least begin to have a language to express their reaction in terms more than just, deeper than just anger. Um, you know, and so that's my hope for our conversation. Um, I want to read a few of the reactions on a live chat website um, when you were discussing your piece on the radio. Here's some comments. It is unattractive and maybe out of place, but most of the art in the city puts out looks unattractive. The city should be a little discerning in the selection of art. When art looks like junk, it creates the wrong emotion. Instead of joy or awe, we feel frustration of the waste of effort. This pile of recycled, some are choosing to call art, is weather-worn and leaking garbage back onto the street, which to me seems like dialogue-inducing, more less like dialogue-inducing uh, and more like littering. I also question the city's judgment in supporting this particular project. In a city with far more urgent concerns to address like homelessness and hunger, I'm sure the $10,000 could be used more wisely. Certainly betterment of the environment is vital, but we need to be concerned for our citizens. Another comment is, unfortunately, the impression I get from the artist is she stated she didn't originally want her art placed at this location, but plucked it there anyway, because, you know, whatever, she gets $10,000. <laughs> really harsh reaction. It was never meant to be art. Very disappointing, and someone would, that someone would have such little regard for the environment. And just because she gave some of the money back to local businesses, we should let her litter our streets. So I think grabbing this. Yeah. <laughs> so so there is the anger raw. Um, and so I guess my question to you and to you, all of you is. Is it mission accomplished because you solicited that kind of a reaction? Well, I don't think about it as a mission. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think about it as having an end goal and having a very specific point. Like, I keep hearing the words point being tossed around. What's the point of this work? Um, I set it up as uh, what I would consider a proposition. Uh, and I think of it as an opportunity to discuss not only uh, these these specific interests of mine, which have to do with, with waste and valuation, which are totally interesting when we talk about how everybody has referred to it as trash and garbage, when an 
actuality it's not. Um, but also because it, it's a chance to talk about public art in our city, um, which in that way it has done. Um, of course, it wasn't a $10,000 piece and it wasn't um, simply meant to uh, garner negative response, but I knew it would be provocative. I mean, it would be hard to say that it wasn't. Um, and it was weather-worn, but that's, to me, that uh, works that stagnate, uh, for lack of a better word, words that don't change uh, are meant to you know, last forever in a certain time and, and don't respond to their environment. Um, they're not as interesting to me as the ones that evolve and change with the public or, or last only sort of a finite amount of time. So, so I didn't have a point or goal <laughs> in mind, and it certainly wasn't just to provoke or anger. Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcasts. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay, so then the question begs, must art have an obvious point? Must we look at it? Must I go up to a piece of art and say, that's beautiful. It's a field of daisies. I get it. It's stunning. Therefore, it is art. Um, must it be that obvious or a, a point to be valid? Um, or, or does art have a point regardless of how it appears. To me, you to all of you. <laughs> to all I don't of you. want to commandeer. So. Well, I think there's something to do with, like, I, in the whole debate around the public work and what it's supposed to do or not, um, I kind of bring it back to the types of civ civil engage uh, civic engagement, mm -hmm. like artists making something for the public, mm -hmm. and also around freedom of expression. Like, we're working with different, as artists, we're working with different things, trying to find ways of expressing our ideas, and we're doing it in un, like atypical manners. We're mm -hmm. choosing different things to say and express something. And if we're going to express a question on public grounds, it's like a, a space to test out what kind of freedom of expression is effective or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a responsible action to test the waters for what art is and what utterance is like if Keeley goes to the trouble to make it all this research occur to write a proposal to get it into a deadline on time mm -hmm. to have it um responded to by a committee of like a you know adjudicated uh individuals you know that are chosen to make that selection and it's accepted by the city you know, with volunteers and however, and then it's gone through the the task of like approving that and bringing it and putting that expression into a location. Like that's valid. It's gone. 
it's also, I mean, it's going to stimulating the economy. All those people get, you know, are going to, you know, buy candy and pay GST or whatever. Right. But um, the utterance itself is the kind of task that's being brought up. And artists are like bothered to go to the trouble of saying something. And the it doesn't have a purpose beyond that. It's communication. It's like, what do people receive from it? Well, if I say something, I, anybody can tell me it's rubbish, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't close the debate or change the value of what I've said. It's just who's listening. Right. And um, public art is like putting something in people's space for them to respond to or not. But some people feel that that something has to be beautiful. It has to be sure. enhancing the space. Well, I, th- I think it's, that comes from the classical view of, of, of the Western right. uh, uh, Renaissance and, and proportions and the beautification of objects, the beautification of society, the beautification of everything. When, in fact, uh, it's okay to have wrinkles. It's okay to be saggy. It's okay mm-hmm. to be overweight. It's okay to do all those things. That's part of, of life. In art, it's the same way. There's no difference. But we have some paradigms and some perception on how uh, and what art should look like. Mm-hmm. And then we just uh, set that as a frame. And that's our frame to look through that lens to see art that way. And and, and what happened here was that uh, the city is growing. It's changing. There's new people. There's new jury. There's an excitement. There's a conversation. There's dialogue. And when a city grows, it comes a lot of different uh, aspects to that growth. And Keely's piece attained to one of those. Why don't we see? Why don't we look at it? Why don't we just observe and create that conversation? If we are growing as a city, that's part of growing as a city. And with $4,500, what can you do to create that dialogue and that conversation? Mm-hmm. Right, but some people feel that they don't want to work that hard emotionally, mentally. They don't want to work that hard to interpret a piece. They want it handed to them quite obviously as beauty and while it might be interesting to look at a piece and go oh the artist really wants to spark controversy here um i have no language around controversial art for example i'm i'm playing the voice of of the person looking at it saying well i don't know how so big deal so there's controversy um, I can create controversy. I'll go dump my dumpster out on somebody's lawn and call it art, and I don't need $10,000 to do that. <laughs> and quite frankly, the city could better use that money. Um, so big deal. If you want to create controversy, create controversy on your own time with your own dime. And, you know, if the city's funding it, it better be beautiful and it better make sense to me. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can speak to that. Yeah. Well, I think our, our city's not quite ready, perhaps, for controversy, we'll say. First of all, they, don't, they think that you got $10,000 for that, which is not true. They don't know that the money comes from the parking meters. They think it's coming from, so maybe, you know, ta- what's it coming from? Parking uh, meters. Oh, no, they said it, no. Wait. 2% of parking meters. Yeah, right, that it's coming from, from the their city. tax dollars. So pay parking. Right. More art will occur. That's right. <laughs> so perhaps we need maybe even just some kind of um, campaign, uh, like education campaign on what, where this funding is coming from, you know, there's mm-hmm. lots of, lots of like in our in my um, organization, lots of our funding comes from lottery money. 
that's not tax money. That's voluntary mm-hmm. tax money. So, you know, if, that's right on gambling. So if that's where our money's coming from and, you know, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be paying for that or we shouldn't be paying for this. So I think we need to start even lower. And, and we, as or Skyops put in, well, I've worked on 20 public murals in the city since I've worked there. And we've done something like 50 traffic control cabinets that have been painted there on the corners of the streets. They're, I don't know if they're beautiful, but they're, you know, they're there and people notice them. So I think they're valuable. And it, you know, so I think there's a start. We have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And maybe if they're not ready for for recycling on the corner of the street, they should be ready for something. It's time to start putting some stuff out there because our city, if you go to other cities and other places, we, we really lack a lot of these pieces that that people know and you know place you know place markers yes right? but but those well, we place markers we have, have ton of yeah. art but we the thing is people forget about those for yes. one piece and then there's two programs that they really the city is running mm-hmm. a, a placemaker program which are all temporary pieces and, the, and those are the ones that measure what the city uh, is moving forward what is the population looking mm-hmm. for what is what is happening what are the conversations that are happening at the moment while the permanent work is more traditional more right. classic because it's more permanent it talks about the society in a different other context so uh, people aren't unaware of it mm-hmm. I just want to jump in and say I think I mean it's also I think people who as an artist I understand that there are there can be different functions for art right so uh, one kind of art isn't m- maybe my bag another kind of art isn't someone else's bag and there are a lot of so so Keely obviously is interested in work that provokes discussion dialogue and thought other people are interested in making things that are just beautiful. And that's, there are a lot of artists out there interested in that kind of work. And SkyApp is interested in engaging the community in a different way with murals and that kind of stuff as engagement for the people making the murals, but mm-hmm. also speaking to the city and, and specifically where those murals are located, the people in that location, right? right? So there's a whole bunch of different purposes to art. And there isn't an art, capital A, I would say there's more arts. And so, you know, what interested me about the response to Keeley's piece was, was um, you know, well, art has to beautify the city. Well, maybe some art does, and that's great. And other art provokes a discussion, and that's great. And I think we are getting to the size. Uh, Saskatoon is growing, and we have such a um, multicultural community now that we can acknowledge that there are different purposes. And so... You know, as John Sebastian says, like one person making an utterance might not be your bag, but there's probably an utterance down the street that's <laughs> more your thing. Yeah. And I think that's <laughs> you know? part of the yeah. The city yeah. itself has a tremendous amount of public work. And like I come from a, a family like I, that was involved in teaching people to make sculpture. So like my grandpa had this effect on the city and that he made dozens of monuments in the city like some people may be tired of some of them or not, but dozens of like permanent installation pieces have been prepared, some according to his artistic uh, interests and some according to clients' artistic interests and some, uh, you know, who knows. Um, and all the different artists that he was working with have presented other works a lot, uh, like there's like this like plethora of public works in the city. It's for a city the size of Saskatoon, even in the 90s, the amount of public art coming out was tremendous Mm -hmm. from a very small community of artists. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And like my grandpa's view is like, and I think it fits with the placemakers. It's kind of like a taste making. Like you become literate of art by looking at art. Mm -hmm. We present as much art as we can, and every person's going to utter something differently. You don't get a taste for found art work if you have no experience with the history of found um, found objects and how you know Duchamp and, and these other uh, artists have used found objects. Although found objects are found in other um, abstract expression sculptures in the city, they're just welded together into another shape. You know, brass pieces by uh, Les Potter and. Um, I'm trying, uh, Doug Bentham. Um, but like, there's all these different works, and there's no lack of controversy that's occurred in the city around public work. In, in 1989, the um, the Jure Canada Games commissioned a sculpture uh, to place at the riverbank in Spadina, uh, and it was uh, two granite pieces made by um, Brian Lane and um, uh, Doug. Um, sorry, I'm forgetting my names, but the. Two artists prepared this work, and it was placed just before the opening ceremonies, and the public was outraged. What is it? It's abstract. It's two granite pieces with a bronze kind of lightning kind of abstract form between the two. It's not. It got removed, mm -hmm. placed upriver in, uh, like, Lawson Heights. It's there still. Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandfather was commissioned to make another piece. Mm -hmm. So outrage generated two works. <laughs> One was, uh, you know, and it was placed, uh, the piece is the spirit of youth, and it was placed at the at the base of the river, and it's like a small ball of people that's, like, shined up by all the kids, you know, playing on it and things. So, like, Saskatoon gets upset about something and takes things away, and other people put things back. And, I, and I'm not so sure that it's endemic to Saskatoon. I mean, I'm going to no. give the city, yeah. I'm going to give the city a break, and, you know, I mean, I've been living in Toronto for the last 25 years, and the addition, the new addition to the ROM sparked huge controversy. Some people just find it absolutely disgusting. I find it fascinating. So, I mean, I, and I, this, I think this conversation has been going on since the dawn of man, and I don't think that it will resolve itself yeah. anytime well, soon. Well, well, it's art appreciation, you know, when you take a look at North America in general, uh, there's a real strong conservatism that, ex that exists in, in, in Western society here that doesn't teach art appreciation <laughs> from a very early age. I could probably have a better conversation with a five-year-old in Europe <laughs> about art than with an adult here in North America. <laughs> and maybe that sounds a bit snobby, but, it, it, but it's, it's the truth. And uh, we're, we're definitely moving into a better place in terms of understanding art and what it is and, you know, in terms of the eye of the beholder and all that sort of stuff. But it's really all, all about provoking one to, to think more. And generally, I find in North America, we really don't want to think that much. <laughs> you know, and I, for the majority, they all want to be told how to think. And one of the things I think that it's hasn't been talked about this particular piece is that the person who covered it up with a black tarp. In Saskatoon, we have laws in particular that, that, that speak to uh, uh, damaging public property or, or, or marking up. There's a huge graffiti thing in this thing, whether they go after all the graffiti artists for tagging and stuff like that mm -hmm. that's tagging there's no difference between the two mm -hmm. so why does this privileged person <laughs> probably middle class uh, male uh, get to go and cover up this piece of work uh, call the media call the media get all this attention and uh, in fact it's uh, self-serving because I understand he wants to be uh, going to the political realm so, therefore, he has a free platform to get up there and talk about his whole thing. What if this was a young person who did that himself? I'm sure the law would be right after them uh, to, to charge them for doing this in public property. Do what the rest of us do. Write a letter. 
<laughs> but know? some may argue that that some of the pieces talk here. about it at Tim Hortons. Exactly. Get really upset. <laughs> <laughs> he can have asked for coffee. <laughs> so I think that's go to the blog. I think that's one aspect that hasn't been talked about in this is, is that the privilege that exists within that person yeah. mm-hmm. uh, doing that to that particular piece of art, regardless of you know what their personal ideas of it, uh, it is. So I think that's one aspect that needs to be discussed. <laughs> okay, so Down well, the <laughs> quelling the flames a little bit, let's go back to art education. And do you feel, any of you feel, a responsibility um, through your work? Do you, do you, are you insulted by the fact that you have to kind of put your voice forward to, to do your part in educating people around your work? Does that insult your artistic sensibility um, or should people do that on their own time and and let you get on with creating your next piece? Well, I think it's an exchange. Mm-hmm. It's an exchange. I think it's a responsibility as a professional just uh, be, uh, uh, like Kili has been very professional in her ways to explain and, and be front when there's interviews and things like that. She didn't back up of her project. On the contrary, she's willing to talk about it. I think that's a very professional attitude towards teaching people what it means, why you created that. And I think there's a responsibility for an artist when they put art in public space to be behind their work. Right. Well, there's a perception even in, I mean, in in my world of, of theater and music. I mean, when I think of when I think of the symphony, there's a lot of people that don't go to the symphony because they feel it's sort of a an us and them kind of thing. That there's a real class separation that that it's that it's for the elitist um you know that it's that it's a black tie affair and that somehow you must sit and listen to to something that might not be mozart and and feel moved by it and if you don't then the problem is yours some people feel alienated some people feel like it's an elitist group that you all belong to and, and that and that part of your mystique part of the mystique of the artist is that they somehow remain removed from from the public it's sometimes uh, you could like being a francophone in a minority situation is similar it's like oh they're speaking french what are you saying about me like some kind of like there's some artist who's trying to pull one over on you you know and you don't know what they're talking about it's like you don't need to do you speak french no we're just speaking french it's like there's art being made it's art like if you're curious about it stay curious if you don't like it you don't like it. If you want to get mad about it, you're allowed to get mad about anything. Like, I get mad about roads in the city, and uh, I'm like, I tripped on something the other day. <laughs> I, I could have fallen down. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, but, like, I could be mad about something. I could be mad about anything, and I can, you know, get upset with things. It's I'm That's my privilege, too, you know? Like, people get mad at art because yeah. they like to scapegoat um, this kind of thing they don't have to understand and uh but there are better ways i mean i think um there are, what keely's piece highlight the, the controversy around keely's piece highlighted for me is there are better ways for all of us i mean the city included to um engage with the public to include the public right so in montreal for example along uh, mount royal by the mount royal metro station there was always a competition every summer um and people could propose temporary pieces and 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 the public would vote on them not all public art has to be made that way, but if I think about someone going through and looking through 10 or 12 proposals, like, you know, just Joe on their computer, whatever, doesn't know a lot about art, for me, that's fantastic. That's a great way to engage someone 
in the process of selection of public art, right? So this is how, oh, that's what this is about. And, and when the pieces were installed, people already understood what, you know, or had, had an entry point into the work, right? And I think part of the problem with, you know, if I, I'm not sure if Keely would agree with this, but for me, it's like plunking something and you had, you know, signage and things where people could get involved, but maybe there needed to be something more. Maybe there's other ways that the city can involve people in the debate around it, maybe before it happens or I as it's happening. I love it or, and I need to join <laughs> because, you know, I work for the city. That's my other hat. And, and I was part of all this process and we did all that. We did the community engagement before we did the call for the placemaker program. Right. And there was a lot of places that we went with our boards of the old work that was in the okay. city. And then we get a touch of what people wanted. They wanted uh, changes. They wanted, if you look back uh, 20 years of the program, right. 19 of them, they were only downtown. Okay. Only downtown or Riversdale or, or Broadway or, 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 or right. downtown. This is the first year, which is a change. So, of mm -hmm. course, there's expectations on people of what is going to happen. This is the first time that it goes, it, the program got moved by the petition of that same neighborhood that the art was put on mm -hmm. in, okay. on 33rd. They wanted it on 33rd. This year they got three. Last yeah. year they got three pieces of art and they focused on one that they, that they dislike. For no reasons, you know, um, or their own personal reasons. But context is also important. Yes, and I, I know. know that Keeley proposed this piece for a different location, and to me, that piece would read totally differently on River Landing than it did on Thirty Third, yeah. because of the struggles that you know the way that people interpret their space or have been trying to manage the space on 33rd, right? It's like a neighborhood that people are trying to, quote, clean up or change the appearance of. It's becoming more gentrified. Mm -hmm. And some people are very happy yeah. about that, right? And so then you put garbage. That's a very different, the context is really important. And I don't know, I would just, like, I, I don't really know if um, the committee that selected the work or the city ever took any responsibility for that and saying like, okay, Keeley proposed it for this kind of beautific riverside what, what spot and it got plunked on a neighborhood that's struggling to clean itself up. Yeah. So, so that's but, but then the you put it in another trying. neighborhood and that's going to be the same conversation because... Yeah, would it, it look the same the on Spadina by the pier? I mean, it'd be put, interpreted very differently, right? You, Context yeah. is everything with public art. You can't ignore that. But what happens is, you know, the city has these... the the structure, okay, we want to put one sculpture here, one sculpture here, one sculpture here. That's great. And I'm really happy to hear that that was from public feedback. But at the same time, you know, you have to think about what the piece is and where it's going and what that means for that neighborhood, right? And also that the artist doesn't always have total control over those like those factors, right? So I don't think people understand work that. out in the open, yes. you know? It's wilderness. Yeah. It's like you don't know if... Like, there, other pieces were wrapped as part of the project. Like, as part of the placemaker project, other people's work was wrapped in white plastic. Yeah. Then a piece was wrapped in black plastic, <laughs> you know, and put a note. Like, and it was like, okay, great. That person's got this opposite point. But, like, if the city's job is to get garbage off the street, like, and that's that other person's point, then... Great. You just found out that they're not doing their job right, especially not during the winter, because when the snow melts, there it is. I live on like I live on 27th, five blocks from where the sculpture is. And that's the apparently the most profitable Safeway in Canada uh, next to it. So, I mean, there's a lot of people who go there for the neighborhood. It's the only grocery store. So it's nearby. Like it, it's seen. But there's just as much 
garbage all around. Yes, but, know, like, but again, you know, it's uh, like the, uh, 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 if any of you have been on juries, there's many layers when the juries are deliberating. Mm -hmm. uh, the city doesn't select the piece. It's a jury in behalf of the city, and the jury represents the citizens. Mm -hmm. You know, Does it truly? Well, in 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 some in some in some ways they do, mm -hmm. but again uh, the, the the when the the nominations for the jury comes, how many people submit their names? It's a voluntary position. How many people are in fact interested in being a voluntary position committed for a year to just selected pieces of art and not get paid? Mm -hmm. So it's I think I think it it's. Uh, it's, it's broader than what we see. Public art is not just putting something and plop it in one place and that's it. It's many layers. What is the budget available? What are the what are the vision of these people that represents the city? Mm -hmm. Where do they live? What is the composition of that jury that the city doesn't select? It's city council. Right. But, but well, this is from volunteer, from a pool of volunteers. How many artists are submitting their names to be part of those jury? How many, how many of them uh, are willing to give up their career? Because if they put their name and they par are part of that jury, they cannot put their work. Mm -hmm. How many opportunities are for those artists in, in, in the public realm to be part of that jury or not be? Are there criteria that have to be met to be part of that jury? Pardon? Are, is there a certain set of criteria that have to be met to be part of that jury? Yes, there's uh, four practicing artists, and and then again, there's a new policy. We are in transition because we saw that there were some uh, uh, opportunities for improvement, and 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 that's why the the council approved a new policy that is is in place. And and but again, there's layers of this, and I think uh, uh, there needs to be an understanding of what is the. Uh, the con the concept of what is public art. What, Should we then open up the jury selection to not uh, artists? Well, uh, sh should I, I'm asking. They I'm not. Never get a say. I, uh, right. <laughs> well, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, if there's if we're having a true public forum about um, about where the city goes as far as public art goes, then perhaps rather than possible political advancement of said person who covers Keeley's piece up with black tarp, perhaps his energies are better served to get his name in to apply to be on a jury as you can absolutely citizen. do it. Well also like, Maybe people that, don't know that they can do that. They post it in the newspaper. Well they, they don't know. Just like your community consultations. I don't know, I, that, I don't know how many people go <laughs> to those things. Because I know that we've I've gone as you know as a Sky App representative. But it's not everybody and it's not the average public so it's still it's still that education thing that we people aren't engaging in right. the talks at all so then when pieces get put out they have no idea they have no idea what they're why they're there who wh why like what's the what's the point right because they didn't even know anything about the beginning part the, the consultations how the, the whole what process. i will but, say though um is that uh it wasn't it wasn't contextless and it wasn't uh, unprepared in terms of presenting it to the community. There was a lot of media attention leading up to installing the work. It was actually front page of the yeah. Star Phoenix and mm -hmm. they talked to me about what I was doing and it literally, if you look at that uh, that title, just the title alone, if you glanced on it, it said, Artist Hopes to Provoke Discussion yeah. Using Bales <laughs> of Plastic. And that was done before the yes. piece was even installed. Yes. Then what happened afterward was a public discussion held in Mayfair Library where each of the, well, myself and another uh, young artist who did a mural down the street, which is sort of in the more uh, 
typically aesthetically pleasing category, which everybody, you know, sort of categorically embraced and loved on 33rd. Um, he and I both, both talked about our work in this discussion, right? So, which was great, and we had a chance to, to contextualize it. Not many people showed up, but, I mean, yeah. we were there. It was advertised very well, and uh, I talked about the entire art historical, conceptual, and site-specific reasons, the rationale behind the project, be and it was just installed that day. So there was an opportunity for that, and then... Of course, it's gone through the winter process and then re-emerged as, as waste does. And, and I think that really adds to what the piece did. Like, that's an unpredictable factor that was, that was excellent to me. So, so I think that all was in place. Right, but what if somebody says, oh, sure, had the conversation after you got the funding? I mean, isn't it, you know, I mean, isn't that a little bit late now? I mean, you're going to go ahead no matter what we say. I mean, should should that conversation happen as part of the decision making process? And then should should we go even further? Should we say, fine, your piece is approved in theory, but the next stage is we need to approve where your piece will go. Well, I mean, that's all administrative, wow. right? I, yeah. I always have this feeling when it comes to that whole argument of, of, of tax money and, the, and all this money sort of going towards public art. I think Canada Council or somebody did a re research a few years back, and it was proven that it was like, what is it, like three or five cents comes out of your pocket? For yeah. public art in this country, it's yeah. like absolutely nothing. Yeah. So often when I have somebody say, Lila, I take the money out of my pocket and I give it to them and I say, here. <laughs> here's, your, here's your money back if you feel so, so, so upset. <laughs> so really, the one bottom line is, there's very little money is spent on public art right. in this country in the first place. And so I often find that that whole conversation be, you know, it's like, oh, come on. Well, that's like, but that's how much money goes to subsidizing industry. oil yeah. companies? How yes. much money goes it's to subsidizing all these yeah. other things that are destroying the planet? Yeah. Art provokes discussion. Art provokes that's why creativity. Like Art, you know, exactly. It's, it's, it's about freedom and I think of expression. And I think uh, most people don't like people to be free. In I mean, country. there's public spending on so many things you can you can just take a price tag and try to debate it like it, how many people like we talked about this la uh, last week uh, Alejandro the um like public hockey arenas <laughs> i never use those yeah. you know like i don't even have like all the gear i need to play hockey at a public arena that's funded and but people are spending money on that and like as somebody who pays taxes do i really need a say in that well I have a say in that. I can vote in my like local uh, elections. I can go talk to people. I can, I can address those you know issues. And if like if it's really a problem for me that four thousand dollars gets spent on one thing and not the other, then like go to town. Sure, get but involved. you you know that sports and recreation um, on an amateur level and a professional uh, level generates much more. Uh, so money than, than well, oh no, so art argue, generates so a tremendous art, yeah. amount of money. Yes, I mean like. How many people, uh, like Anna Maria Tremonti, she's getting paid for talking about that sculpture when it's on The Current. All the staff that are involved in generating stuff at the Star Phoenix get paid to generate stuff. All the people who pay money for their newspaper to get some new information pay for it. All the internet providers who have information in the communications networks, they're charging, you know, bucks for people to talk about stuff. Like... We're making up reasons to do things all the time. Yes, like, but do you think that, honestly, a one-minute spot in the middle of Hockey Night in Canada costs as much as a one-minute spot in the middle of um, the mean, Kennedy Centre Presents special? A one-minute one spot on, like, Saskatchewan News Hour doesn't cost, uh, like... 
right. for like two nights in a row cost you four thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, like. But since when is everything about money it's anyway? Not about, it's not about money. <laughs> right. I mean, like, honestly, like, there's a lot of things in my life that don't I don't pay for that are super fantastic. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think that's it, that argument is basically is flawed. And if we boil everything down to dollars and cents, that argument is flawed. Well, so then going back to what you said, Adrian. So if you don't like it, I'll, here's your refund. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, John Sebastian, you 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 likened it to a, a taste test. Um, you know, so I go to a restaurant i order something off the menu it's absolutely like it. disgusting i send it back to the chef and i say and i say you know i the chef comes out and says here's here's a voucher for um for a free meal next time we're really really sorry well, so should we the, be doing the same well, thing well you can you walk up 33rd you see a sculpture you're like i don't like that sculpture you walk another block and a half you're at another sculpture mm-hmm. and you, people don't think well that was so that's stupid but, but, i get to take a look at something else like you can look at anything you can look you, around you, you but can you know figure what it I, out you know what i don't understand the city is polluted with a lot of uh, media advertisement that is ugly and unappealing yeah. and, but because the media and it's private it's okay to put it in the public realm so what is the difference well if i go and cover up an ad um and black out somebody's advertising, I'm going to have uh, some difficulties. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe like to, Just to add to this, there's another piece of art that's uh, up right now that's causing controversy, and it's Dana Claxton's uh, piece, uh, yeah. Billboards, mm-hmm. uh, Tonto, Pray For Me. Yeah. And it's Tonto and, and stuff like that. And actually, it was an Indigenous person who, who called in and complained, saying it was racist and stuff like that. Dana Claxton's an Indigenous artist, and there's a reason why she did that. <laughs> Again, to provoke that discussion around historical names, historical stereotypes, racism, all those different things. And that's why those are there. Yeah. So those, you know, those, so again, that's another piece that has, has controversy. And I, and, I, and I think that's good, because what it does is this opens up that space, where even as an Indigenous person, when I go and look at that, say, yeah, that's racist, and then I, I call it racist in the public realm. Uh, then I have to back up and say, oh, hang on a second. An indigenous person actually made that. Right. Why so, did they make that? Oh, because yeah. of the stereotype. Yeah. So here is a great learning opportunity yeah. I think that artists constantly provide. Yeah. We do amazing amounts of research that goes into our works. And our works are then in the public realm. And that begins that conversation and opens up a whole different way of educating rather than the Western system of going to school and stuff like that. This is actually more free where people actually get to have their reaction. And then if they're interested, go and start finding out and filling in all the blanks. Right. So then how do you lead Joe Average from that visceral response of anger to then going on further to to do the the background uh, research to find out really what the piece is about and find out that actually they're severely misinformed in their visceral reaction. How do you get to that? Well, it's, well, it's, it's like control people. It's like it's <laughs> like the story of taking the horse to the river to drink water. You you can take it, but you right. can take him, but you cannot force him to drink water. You know, it's the same. People make choices all the time, and if you choose to not like a piece of art, just walk the other road. You know. I think there's other beautiful ones. I think you can make it easy for people to to find information though. I mean there's a panel. Is, you put is. a panel. Yeah, you put a panel, you put an explanation, you know, you Google Tonto yeah. Pray for Me Saskatoon. But all this so, information is accessible in the website. And and what I find yeah, interesting yeah. is that yeah. the same person that, that did all this, he calls me and find me right away one call. He didn't even mention anything about the work. Hmm. So then he said that he called the the these other counselors and all that when in fact how much of that is true? 
So then media also like to uh, turn around and spin the information because it appeals to sell. So then, in fact, I got calls too of liking the piece of kiddies. Mm-hmm. But do those people get covered? Right. No. No, because because it's good. It doesn't create controversy. So what I think, what creates a controversy here, where an individual that have other interests, personal interests, and he called the media, and the media said, okay, let's go the story. They never called uh, the counselors that they say that he called. They never, there was more to the story. They never talk about the layers of that work where it was installed in front of the place that produced the garbage or, or the containers or, or the materials uh, and talk about the process. And then the banks that fund that, you know, it, it, there was a lot of other conversation that could have happened about that. Is gentrification okay? Is gentrification not okay? So there's many, many layers of that work. And I think it was uh, uh, when, when the jury make the decision to put it there, and when we as administrator found that that place was going to be there, it, we, we commented that it could create some controversy. Are we up for this? We were ready for it. We knew that it would happen. But then, do we choose no because it's conservative and take a conservative approach? Or we said, let's support the artists. That's, what our, that's, what, that's part of our mandate. Support the artists as we have supported every other artist that have been in the program. So it's a very difficult situa- situation for administration and the public. I got three calls of not liking their work, but I got <gasps> six that they like it, you know? Oh <laughs> do you feel that the media plays a responsibility? Absolutely. Like and, and, and I grew up, I grew up, my mother is a journalist. I grew up in, the, in an editorial environment where it's not the story. It's not the story that is good that sells. It's the story that creates controversy, and they don't care if they destroy an image of a person as long as they sell the newspaper, as, Lena, as long as they sell the story. So then uh, my respect for, for, for that type of situation is, 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 is very low because uh, I, I grew up seeing it, you know, and it, and it happened. There's, there wasn't an opportunity here, really, uh, give the same amount of time that they give to this gentleman to give it to Kili, to give it to other people and just go in the community and interview other artists. And sensationalism sells. I mean, you know, headlines, headlines hit the front page. But he called the media. It wasn't the media founded. Right. He wrapped it. It was planned. And it was planned just the Sunday of Easter, where Monday is a holiday. And then it just all planned. Uh, I think time, time, and I can show you my notes here. (laughs) April 7th. We have already conversations. Uh, Kitty was in Iceland in a residency, so we we just let her just enjoy her residence instead of moving there. This gentleman, the 19, decided to tarp it. So then, public money. That's right. So you know, it's interesting how all this happened, and, and and it was never an opportunity, an opportunity to just tell these stories. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other Sass Culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...